Welcome to the Bible Foundations program. I'm Jerry Smythe, and we're delighted to have you with us again today as we continue the study of God's Word, particularly focusing on the life of Abraham and some of the highlights that are referred to about him in the New Testament. Why are we selecting particular portions of God's Word in this particular life of an individual? Well, first of all, to demonstrate specific things that God wants us to know. And these specific things are refer are spoken of in the New Testament. And so we've chosen the highlights or the foundations, if you will, from the Old Testament to help us grasp what God is communicating to us today from how he communicated with real-life individuals in the early recordings of the, of the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, Genesis is said to be the seed plot of the Bible. Here are the anchors or the foundational truths that God gives in his interaction with man that help us understand his personality and his character as well as his attributes. Now, it's important for us to remember that God always keeps his promises, even if it takes a very long time. Well, can you imagine that Abram and Sarai may have had doubts as the years ticked by and as they'd led, left their land of Ur and traveled along the Euphrates or up that northwest direction from where they were on the, about 100 miles inland from uh, Kuwait in the Persian Gulf? And they traveled up to Haran, and then God moved them down to Canaan, back down along the Mediterranean, uh, through Sir, uh, Syria, and uh, on down through Lebanon, and down into the land that we know today as Israel. That was what Canaan was called. Canaan was the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. And this is where God told him to go, even though he didn't know where he was going. Lot Abram's nephew was traveling with Abram and Sarai, and as they settled down now in the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised them and told them to go to, we see that their uh, that their uh, cattle and all of their uh, animals were multiplying greatly, and the land was too uh, was too crowded with them all eating out and drinking out of one place. And so Abram gently calls Lot up and says, "Look, you choose what you want." You choose where you want to go now, and uh, and I'll take the other. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go east, I'll go west. And so it was that, that Lot chose the lowlands of Sodom, down below the uh, Dead Sea, down on the southwest coast of the Dead Sea, in fact. Actually, there's a question, I guess, uh, in ex the exact location, although they have dug up many of the ruins of cities there that would indicate that that could well be the location of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, after Lot left him, God still communicated with Abram, and he told him that he would give him all of the land of Canaan. God's promise was to him there, and he went on to promise him that his descendants would number more than the stars. Abram's descendants would also go to another country where they would be ill-treated for 400 years, and then God would bring them back to the land of Cana as he had promised Abram. Now it was in Genesis chapter 19 where we read that Abraham and uh, Sarah's names were changed to just that, from Abraham, from Abram to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah. And you'll remember that Abram means exalted father. And certainly 
uh, Abram had been become an exalted father of many uh, of the peoples that he had had influence along. But now God was changing his name to the father of a multitude. Now you got to understand that he still didn't have his first son by Sarah. He had taken things into his own hands with Sarai's uh, uh, concubine and maid, but that was at Sarai's request, taking things into their own hands, attempting to provide a way where God could work. But God didn't need their help, see? And in spite of their sin, in spite of their difficulties with belief, Sarai's name, which meant princess, was changed to the mother of nations. Sarah was to be the mother of nations, and at 90 years of age, she still had not borne her first child. You see, God would have to perform a miracle for Abraham and Sarah to have a child because they, Sarah was barren and they were both too old. And Abraham was 100 years of age and Sarah was 90. Now, God created the first man and woman and he gives life today just as he did then to every baby. You see, nothing is too hard from God, for God and he can do whatever he wants to do. And besides that, only God knows the future. Now, you remember that God predicted here in this passage of Scripture that uh, that the descendants of Abraham would be many and that they would be for a time for several hundred years down in Egypt for 400 years, in fact. And God knew how to prepare them for what was coming, even though it would be a very hard and a very long time. You see, God only knows the future. And sometimes he limits the wickedness of man. And that's precisely what we see him doing as we approach the uh, record that's given in Scripture of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. The story that God relates to us in the, in the situation that we find here in Genesis chapter 19 is not a comfortable story where we sit today. In the society and the pressures that are around us, our society disdains any standards of morality, it seems, and any standards of righteousness. You see, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah stands as a clear testimony of God's unwavering truth. This passage of Scripture is particularly timely for us today because of the kind of sin that was prevalent in these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah homosexuality, and every other kind of sexual sin is flourishing in our day. But many excuse their sin as a, quote, chosen lifestyle. lifestyle. It's a godless lifestyle, you see, and godless lifestyles have become very popular and socially acceptable today, just as it was before the flood and just as it was at the time of God uh, dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah. God, you see, has never and will never accept immoral behavior. God calls it sin, and the payment for sin is death, my friend, and the death penalty rests on every person who is guilty of sin before God. Many people today in our society like to think that God is a loving God and would never punish anyone, but my friend, never underestimate the righteousness of God. He is indeed loving and kind, but he is righteous and he is just. And though he uh, is indeed loving, he is also to be feared. For you see, my friend, the record proves that God does punish all sin. Our biblical record is taken from chapter 9, verse 19 of Genesis. 
And the verse 1 tells us, And there came two angels uh, to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate, in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. In this verse, we see that Lot had moved from nearby the cities to living right in the cities. It was an urban area. He wanted to be where the action was, at least his family does did, and we wonder just what all took place to draw him into that situation. But there he was, and then verse 2 tells us, And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, unto your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. Then he pressed them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did break, bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Lot took these two angels of God, the good angels that were now acting as servants of the Lord, and he brought them into his home, and he fed them, and he made a great feast for them. But verse 4 tells us what happened after that. Chapter 19, verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all of the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do to them as it is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadows of my roof. My, what a sickening passage of Scripture to read. But you see, God didn't hide things from us. He tells us just like it was and just like it is. God has put it there for you and I to read. Stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. Is our society doing any better? The word sodomy is still in our language today because of the sin that was uh, that was referred to at this time. And it's still in our midst today. You see, God's only plan for sex is that to have been between in a special bond between a man and his wife. And that was the mean for them to have children, not be exalting and gratifying themselves, not to be selfishly claiming what was not theirs and working that which was unnatural. You see, the unnatural, perverted, out-of-control, selfish passions that plagued Sodom that are still raging here today. Our whole society is threatened by a horrible disease because men and women have refused God's plan for their lives. You remember that Lot made the choice, and his choice was to choose the best land. Lots of times, the best, or what appears to be best, will look a little bit different down the road. That's just what's happened right here. You see, Lot's earlier choice of the best land appears quite different now in light of this awful scene. If God had not sent his angels, what a horrible end uh, to Lot and his two daughters they, uh, would have been. What a terrible thing they would have faced. But the Bible tells us that Lot did believe God, and because of that, God rescued him. 
Oh, my friend, we must conclude, every one of us, that man, yes, you and I are sinners and that we need God for this reason because we're helpless to save ourselves. And that's just the situation that Lot and his family found themselves in. God is about to send judgment. And you know what? They're helpless to save themselves. Unless God rescues them, they'll die in the same destruction that everyone else would die in. And the married daughters of Lot did die, and their sons-in-law, Lot's sons-in-law, died as well. But let's look and see what God says happened here. In verse 8, we read that Lot is now offering his daughters and trying to save these men, these angels of God who had come as men and had come to see what was really going on in God's behalf. And he offers his daughters to these men, uh, these wicked people of the city. But that wasn't good enough for them. You see, they were so morally depraved, they insisted on having sex with these two men who were angels of God. They weren't able to recognize them as angels of God, but they were, my friend. And verse 9 says, These men of the city were pressing in on Lot, and they said, Stand back. And they said it again. This one fellow came to sojourn, he needs be a judge, and now we will deal worse with thee than with them. So they're threatening Lot and his family as well. And they pressed sore upon them, uh, upon the man, even Lot, and came near to breaking his door. You see, illicit passion has no concern for anybody but its own gratification. There is no backing off when one has committed themselves to the evil of this degree. Now read in... Verse 10, but the men put forth their hand, that is these angels, and pulled Lot into the house to them, and they shut the door. And verse 11 says, they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. God knew how to handle this evil situation. He was in control of all things, and he empowered these angels of his, these special messengers now, to bring down the judgment. And the first phase of judgment was the consequence of their own sin. Blindness was upon them so that they couldn't even find the door. And in their confusion, the situation was relieved for a moment. Verse 12 says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides thy son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in this city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because of the cry of them that is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. These messengers of God were making and communicating clearly what was going to happen here. They were communicating clearly with Lot and telling him to get his family and to bring them out of this city before they would destroy it. These who were about to attack or trying to attack them were now wandering around in their confusion and in their lust. And God says, I'm about to destroy it, Lot. Get your family out of here and get them out quick. Verse 14 says, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Oh, my friend, we've seen the mockers before. You remember the mockers that were around Noah and when he was preaching that the judgment was coming and they refused to believe him because they'd never seen rain before. And besides that, what's a ship being built 
out here in the middle of the desert for, up here in Turkey, up here in a place where there's no water, where you can float anything, especially that size. Besides that, what a joke. It probably wouldn't float anyway. Now we see those unbelieving people who have turned God from their thinking and have persisted in their immorality, and now they've been given over to a totally reprobate mind. And some of them were his own sons and daughters. Oh, how heartbreaking that must have been. Verse 15 carries us on, saying, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened to Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. My friend, God clearly has communicated over the centuries what his instructions are and what his expectations are and what pleases him and what offends him. And now, being offended, he's about to send judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he pleads through these angels with Lot to take his wife and his two daughters and leave. No longer time to wait for his children to make up their mind or to change their mind. Time had run out. Verse 16 says, And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Lot was lingering. He didn't want to leave his home. He didn't want to have everything he had there destroyed. There were pleasures to living in this sinful place. There was self-exaltation, you see, and it's very much like we see people who claim to be followers of God today. Church people, if we dare to say. Church people who know themselves at their very presence are identifying with the evilness of the world in many situations. Such was the case in Romans chapter 1, as it says in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy, murder and debate and deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents, without understanding, with uh, covenant breakers, without natural affection, and implacable and unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. But look on. We see what it says about those who are just watching this stuff happen. Verse chapter 2, verse 1. And therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For when wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for that thou doest the same things, uh, implying that we're doing the same things ourselves. But we see that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which committeth such things. My friend, we wouldn't think of going in so often, especially us church people, you know. We wouldn't think of partaking in the pleasures of this world or going to a porn shop, but we'll sit in our homes and watch the garbage on television. Much to my shock the other day, watching a well-known and well-reputed uh, securities exchange organization having a man on their commercial on television kissing another man. And then we wonder why, in all of the lust of our flesh in the day, that a six-year-old child who's been exalted as a sexual image, if you will, maybe not with that intention, but that's what was accomplished, and that child is murdered without 
any concern for the individual at all. Oh, my friend, it was only because Lot believed in the promises of God that he sees a way of escape at this time. And God, while he lingers, uses these two angels to take he and his wife and their daughters by the hand and literally set them outside of the city before he destroys it. Did Lot and his family deserve to be saved? No, they were sinners too, perhaps not to the degree of these others. But God doesn't put a... Uh, premium on these things you see he says that there are things that are extremely offensive on him and that sin is sin but the one thing that saves us is not what we can do ourselves but relying on god in a situation that's beyond us you see god always saves those who agree with him about sin and trust him abel you see agreed with god and trusted him and god accepted abel Noah agreed with God and trusted him, and God saved Noah. God put him inside the ark and then shut the door and allowed him to go through that flood in an ark of safety while all others perished. You see, Lot agreed with God and trusted in God, and God delivered him before Sodom was destroyed. God is holy, and God is righteous, and he demands death as the payment of sin. And God is the owner of all things, and he has the right to do. Because he is the owner, he has the right to do with that which he has created and given his life to. Now let's look on in Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 and 25. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah and brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities which grew round about which grew upon the ground. My friend, God was able to handle this evil situation and handle it he did. He's the owner and he had the right to do what he decided to do. And he still does. You see, once Lot was safely outside of the city, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because God hates sin. Just as he hated and destroyed, uh, hated the sin and destroyed the people by the flood in the time of Noah, he now destroyed these wicked people by fire. Now in Second Peter chapter two verse six, God calls the destruction of these cities a, an example of what is going to happen to ungodly people. Now, my friend, one of the characteristics of God is that he's faithful and he never changes. And therefore, he's still the same God today. He has not changed and he has not changed his mind about sin. God still hates sin and no one can escape his judgment. Now we see that God is holy and righteous and that he demands death as the payment of sin. Let's read on in verse 26. But his wife, that is Lot's wife, looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, my friends, it's God that's telling us what happened. He was there, and he had the writers of this book tell us exactly what happened because he breathed into them precisely what he wanted to communicate to you and I. And that's what he said here. When the angels took Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of Sodom, they told them not to look back, but to run to the mountains. But Lot's wife disobeyed. 
God knew what was in the heart of Lot's wife. She was a lover of pleasure more than the thing, a lover of the things of God, you see. And Lot's wife was like Cain. She did not trust God. Now as they were fleeing out of the city, no doubt they could hear the thunder and the, and the sounds of the destruction that was behind them. And uh, she did not trust God. And she turned around longing for what she was leaving. And God knew that she looked back and he knew why. She looked back because she liked the sinful ways of the people of Sodom, and she didn't want to leave. You see, she was foolish to ignore God's warning, and because she was foolish, when she looked back, God turned her into a pillar of salt. God is faithful, my friend. He never changes. If we get angry at somebody, we may threaten lots of things, but after a while we'll probably forget. But God doesn't threaten to punish and then forget about it. He's always the same. He remembers and he keeps his promises to bless those who trust him and to punish those who disobey him. God never forgets about sin until sin is paid for in full and the punishment for sin is death. Separation from God forever in the lake of fire. Oh, my friend, God is interested in all people. He's interested in you especially. And that's why he wants you to hear the message and the warning. And that's why he wants you to understand that all of us have a responsibility. Every individual has a responsibility to turn to God as the only way of salvation, the only way that we can be spared from the judgment that is promised for sin. You see, God is interested in all people. Even though there are now billions of people in the earth, God still knows and is interested in every individual. The Bible tells us that every living thing is important to God, even the sparrows. Though there are millions of sparrows in the world, the Bible tells us in Matthew 10:29 that God knows when one sparrow dies, even one sparrow. When it dies, God knows it, you see. And then over in Psalm chapter 50, verse 11, God says, I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. But God tells us in his word that we are much more precious to God than the birds. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising, and thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Think of the vastness of God's knowledge. This great, all-knowing, all-powerful God cares about everyone, even you and me. God knows that we are studying his word right now. He knows that we've been examining these things of Sodom and Gomorrah at this time, and he wants us to believe what he's teaching us. God wants us to li listen to him and to believe, because not only is God interested in every individual, he will also judge every single person who refuses to believe his word. Some people think that they're just too insignificant for God to bother with. Folks, that's just not true. Nobody is so insignificant that God does not know you or, in fact, how many hairs are on your head. He even knows the, your number of hairs on your head, you see. And remember what we just read in the Psalms. 
Even the birds are important enough to God that he knows every one of them. God is all-knowing. He's not limited like you and I are, see? And how much more God cares about people. He knows everything about us, and he knows everything about you, you see? God cares about us, and he wants us to believe him. He wants us to come to him his way. He wants us to come to him the way we've been instructed in his word, by the examples of those who have come to him before, believing him. But he's also righteous and true. And because he's righteous and true and pure and holy, he will judge the person who refuses him. No person can escape. No person can escape God's concern. No sin escapes God's righteous judgment. You see, all of us stand in desperate need before him. And God is the same today as he was in the day of Abraham and the day of Lot and in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the greatest lessons of this story is that we need to be mindful of the choices we make, my friend. Abraham choice, chose to believe God, and God is still pouring out blessings on the descendants of Abraham. Those who, like Abraham, believe God. But Lot made a choice that unnecessarily placed him and his family in the middle of a perverted, godless environment. That choice cost him the lives of his wife and his sons, and his sons-in-laws, and, uh, and his testimony, and that of his daughters. While we'll not look at that particular passage of Scripture, the evidence shows us, the record showed us, that even though they escaped the cities, they still carried with them the taint of their sins, and that flourished in their generations to follow. Sons born to Lot's daughters became those who would be the enemies of Abraham's descendants. Thank you for being with me today. Would you join me again next time as we look at the promises of God to send the Deliverer through Abraham's descendant and how God revealed the detail to you and I today so that we could know the truth and the truth could set us free from the bondage of sin?